the Windows, Doors, and More Studios. Your one-stop shop for all your kitchen and bath needs. The Pat Miller Program. Whoa, whoa. 92.3 FM and 1190 AM. Depend on it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It is the Pat Miller Program uh, coming to you here live uh, from Broadcast Center here in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, we're here at Wobble, 92.3 FM, 1190 AM. Do not forget that tonight, just about four hours from now, from the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California, uh, we will have these, uh, I think, eight of them that are still there uh, that will be debating eight Republicans, Donald Trump will not be there. Asa Hutchinson will not be there. Uh, Trump, because he doesn't want to be. Asa, because he can't. Uh, but uh, as an article that I read uh, by our guest, our, our great friend, uh, he might be there because an AI clone of him can go anywhere. <laughs> Philip Wegman from Real Clear Politics. Philip, hi. Good afternoon to you. Hey, Pat. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. So now, can I do an AI of me? Well, you know, we're on this, uh, we're on the cusp of a new era here. And I remember the moment when Fox News' Peter Ducey asked the White House about artificial intelligence. And his question was not very well received by the rest of the reporters in the room because people laughed. And then if you fast forward a few weeks later, he asked the same question about how AI was going to change the workforce. And this was after there had been a Time magazine article noting that artificial intelligence wasn't going to be coming for the guy on the assembly line's job. It wasn't coming for the truck driver's job. Instead, it was coming for some of those white-collar uh, professions, notably journalism, and no one laughed that time. Everyone was very concerned. Yeah, uh, I think that we're seeing um, we're seeing some of these new artificial intelligence tools affecting politics. And uh, the Asa Hutchinson team they put together a chat bot. So if you want to know how Asa Hutchinson would have responded to some of the questions that the other candidates are getting on stage, well, you can go over to his website. And uh, just click play around on it. with the chatbot. <laughs> yeah, that that is bizarre, though, isn't it? I mean, that really is bizarre. It's getting it's getting uh, rather bizarre. And the thing that's interesting to me about this is not necessarily that using artificial intelligence is going to help Asa Hutchinson rocket to the top of the polls. Not going to happen. What I find interesting is that this is a mile marker. Um, this AI is expanding exponentially. It's not taking slow steps. Instead, it's learning very quickly. And already some of the things that ChatGPT or Delphi or the Google program can do are a little, a little spooky. And uh, sometimes, you know, if you play around with these AIs, uh, it feels like you're talking to a, a pretty real person. The Asa Hutchinson one is different, but I think that, um, you know, we're going to see more AI in politics. We've already seen, you know, DeSantis create ads of, uh, you know, former President Donald Trump um, supposedly hugging and kissy, kissing Anthony Fauci, something that didn't happen. And right. It's clearly a joke. But the concern is, what happens when you automate these politicians' voices? What happens when you automate uh, video of them, and then people can't tell the difference between the uh, the AI and the real thing? Yeah, because you know what? If you don't go into it with the mindset, hey, this might be AI, this might be fake, any of us could be taken back by this. Mm -hmm. And just recently, uh, Senator Rand Paul, um, someone created an image of him uh, 
in the Senate wearing a red bathrobe. He almost looked like yeah. a Roman senator. Out there on the and, Senate uh, steps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you sit there and you look at it, you can kind of realize, okay, this, yeah. isn't, this isn't real. But um, it did influence the, the larger sort of controversy in Washington, D.C. You had um, Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, who likes to wear sweatshirts and sweatpants on the Senate floor. And people thought, oh, well, Rand Paul did this to sort of, you know, mock him when it had never actually happened. Yeah, so, yeah. I, this is something to put a footnote in. I don't think it's going to have a big effect on tonight's debate, but it is interesting. So so as AI goes forward, uh, I, I don't want to get overly hung up on this, but as it goes forward, do you think the day will come when somebody like a Rand Paul could actually take an AI producer and take them to court and sue them for making it look like they were actually saying something they did not say? <laughs> That's one of the problems with AI, according to experts. Now, obviously, whenever an expert rolls up to Capitol Hill and says, we need more regulation, you have to be suspect of that. Because what happens in D.C. all the time is the big banks show up to Congress and they say, we need more regulation. Big tech shows up and they say, we need more regulation. And then they end up being the ones with their army of lobbyists who write the regulation. Yeah. And surprise, surprise. They wrote the regulation in such a way to favor their industry sure. over their competitors. Sure. Or, 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 or even their company within an industry. You know, they'll, they'll slice it, dice it in such a way that the only one it really affects is them. Yes, exactly. And so I'm skeptical of some of these expert voices. But one of the things that they say is that the danger of AI currently is some of these companies have said, all right, in, in – in favor of transparency, we're just going to open up the software, and anyone can have access to it. And on the World Wide Web, we might be looking at a situation where you know there's an artificial intelligence uh, that someone gets a hold of, and then after you know a couple hundred hours of working on it, they can change it to be rather nefarious. And oh, if it slanders you know someone like a sitting U.S. senator. They might not have any recourse because it was done all anonymously. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and, and you kind of got to keep a handle on that, and that's going to be the hard part. Uh, you know, because I mean, some people say, "Well, what if it happens with Pat Miller?" It never will uh, here because it will always be me. Because when I'm talking to Philip Wegman, I want him to know that it's coming directly from me, directly from me, directly yeah, from they me. They can never replicate so. <laughs> your genius. <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> okay, so so let's go to the non-AI debate tonight. Donald mm-hmm. Trump is not there. Asa Hutchinson is not there. The other players, the other seven, I think, they are there. Does this really does this real do do anything to enhance the party or to enhance the other seven? Or does it just give Donald Trump more stage to say, see, I'm still ahead and I didn't even have to go to the dumb debate? I'm not sure. I think that was the case after the first debate where we saw Trump uh, not um, get involved, stay home, and watch his poll numbers increase. There wasn't a demonstrable effect um, you know, for any of his challengers or against him. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the former president is going to loom large over this debate again. Uh, but, you know, the, the first one, it kind of was just a proof of concept. Um, you know, in Milwaukee, Ron DeSantis didn't have a bad night, but he didn't distinguish himself. Uh, Mike Pence, he, he elbowed his way to the front of the crowd so he could stay part of the conversation. But his poll numbers haven't increased significantly yep. since then. Yep. Uh, Nikki Haley, 
no one was expecting her to throw haymakers, so they didn't prepare for her. And then she had a free hand to, um, you know, make her case. So if they're smart, will they be ready for her tonight? I think they will absolutely be ready for her tonight. And I think that the, the, the question in this debate here is very much who is the alternative. Ron DeSantis was was billed as a anti-Trump juggernaut, someone who could beat him, but you know, embrace some of his policies. That has not happened. The guy has, you know, lost a lot of momentum. So the question is, who among these other candidates can stand up and say, "I'm ready for the long haul. I can compete with the front runner." Uh, and who can make that case, not just to voters, but to the donors who are going to have to foot the bill for the super PACs and, and for you know the uh, election infrastructure that you would need for that kind of challenge? we got about three minutes left. We're talking to Philip Wegman from Real Clear Politics, our great friend there in Washington, D.C. If, if I were a campaign um, programmer, if I was somebody that was helping them put things together— if I was talking to Ron DeSantis, I think I would say, you didn't embarrass yourself last time, you had good thoughts, you have good thoughts this time, but if it doesn't move the needle at all, would it be a better thing for him to back out and to say, I now stand ready to back whoever it is the party puts forward, which will probably be Trump, and, and then I'm going to go back to Florida and I'm going to be the best governor in the country, and that's what I need to do right now. And then four years from now, Trump wins this time, or Trump loses this time, but four years from now, Ron DeSantis then steps back into the breach. Does he have a stronger position then than he does now? That is complicated for a couple of reasons, because he won a second term in 2022, meaning that there would be a gap uh, between when he could run for president a second time, ostensibly, you know, if Trump wins or, or Biden wins. I think that at this point, he has invested so much of his time, his effort, and his brand that these guys are going to make it to the first couple of states. DeSantis has changed his strategy. They're putting a lot of their eggs in the Iowa basket. And I don't expect some of the big um, second-tier folks like DeSantis or Nikki Haley um, or, you know, Tim Scott, folks who, who have a lot of financial backing, I don't expect them to get out before those first three races. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think the, the sooner they can make things less convoluted, you know, Chris Christie needs to get out. Um, that's just me. I'm being loud and proud here. But Chris Christie, you know, he lost the room when he was here speaking at the Republican dinner earlier this week when his speech halfway through did what all of his speeches are now doing. And that is halfway through, they become nothing but dropping grenades on Donald Trump. When it happened that night, I thought, this is so stupid. And he just kept doing it. Um if it's, well, that that night, it was one of those things. He was supposed to be my last guest before the end of the show and before the dinner. Okay, we could not make the phone connection happen. I was so frustrated. And then halfway through his speech, I turned to Kim and I said, "Man, am I glad we couldn't get his phone connected?" <laughs> Look, I mean, I think the expectation for Chris Christie was that he was going to um, have the knockout punch last debate because he certainly. 
um, kneecapped Marco Rubio in 2016. And to a lesser extent, he took some of the stuffing out of Vivek Ramaswamy. But does this guy actually have uh, a constituency of voters? We've seen some polling show that he could uh, be competitive in New Hampshire. But again, some of these guys have not moved beyond making a critique of Donald Trump to actually make an affirmative case for why they should be um, the nominee. And I'll tell you, I just wrapped up a pretty long story um, looking at some of the Chinese investment that these governors like Christie, Pence, uh, Haley, and even to some extent Ron DeSantis courted. And there, there's a lot in, in Christie's record um, beyond just, you know, going after Trump that he would have to defend. For instance, Chris Christie, I found out, his administration, they were the ones who rolled out the welcome mat for uh, Chinese telecom giant uh, Huawei in uh, 2013. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They uh, they uh, also did not return my phone call after they figured out what the story was. What? I can't hardly believe that. Well, listen, I got to roll out of here. Um, so let's do this. Um, maybe can't tomorrow. Maybe Friday if you're available. Maybe I'll grab you for about just five or six minutes. And, hey, I'm around. And, yeah, when the, when the when the dust settles, we can talk about what it is that we think happened tonight. Okay. Sounds good. Talk I appreciate you, you my friend. Thank you so much. As always. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Yep, there you go. All right, there he goes, uh, Philip Wegman, uh, the White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. We're back with more straight ahead. Podcasts by Federated Media.